It's wonderful to be here. I've heard a lot about Christendom over the years. And uh, Washington, D.C. was the last place I lived before leaving uh, the U.S. It's been, uh, well, it's getting on 19 years that I've been living in Rome. So it's, being on, a, on an American campus is, uh, is something of a treat, being able to speak English to students. Uh, it's also great to see some faces here that I, I do know from way back, Father Planty and uh, above all, Pat Cates, uh, haven't seen in I don't know how long, uh, long, <laughs> long, long time. Uh, we, we ran the Boston Marathon together. Um, when Pope Francis was uh, elected, uh, I don't know, probably you were all watching on television, uh, Rainy, it was a rainy night in Rome, and it was uh, an amazing atmosphere that really that, that governed the piazza. I was, I was working with ABC television. I was actually in the studio. I wasn't out in the piazza. I was watching it, uh, and there was a, uh, an electricity in the air and a palpable love, I would say. Uh, many young people in, a, in the crowd Perhaps the older people didn't want to be out in the rain, but the, it was full of young people who were uh, eager, clearly eager to see the Pope and happy with whoever came out. They were delighted when it was announced, Abemus Papam, right? Before they knew anything about him, right? It didn't matter. It was, it was the fact that they had a successor of St. Peter. Was it, that, was, that was sufficient in itself. It was, and theologically, obviously, it's... It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see, to witness uh, that outpouring of affection for the successor of St. Peter, whoever he may be. It also became immediately clear, however, that this particular pope had a, a special rapport with the crowd uh, from the very first moments when he walked out and, and said uh, you know, something very ordinary, buona sera. Right. The first thing he said, buonasera, good evening. Uh, and he did, did something very extraordinary. So there's a very ordinary words and, a, and an extraordinary gesture on his part that seemed to win over the crowd immediately. Uh, and the extraordinary gesture was asking them to pray for him. If you all remember seeing that, when he, he asked the people in the piazza, to pray for him, and he bowed his head in silence. Uh, so between the ordinariness of the, of the greeting and the extraordinary sense of humility, uh, almost vulnerableness that was apparent in asking the people to pray for him, it seemed as if the whole, the whole crowd, and in some ways the church and the world, uh, fell in love, uh, love at first sight with, with the new pope. And that was, was brought home to me over the days following the, the conclave uh, in many ways, in conversations with people around Rome, the, 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 the taxi driver who took me home that evening after everything had calmed down very late at night, uh, said that he was listening on the radio, uh, couldn't see it, and, but he was talking with his wife uh, at home, who was watching on television, and she was weeping. 
when the Pope came out for the first time. And that intensity of response has more or less remained steady so far. And this is the amazing thing, uh, the amazing situation in which we find ourselves uh, talking about communications in Rome these days. Something quite extraordinary is going on. It's not, it's not what we're accustomed to. Uh, and this is also, for many people, uh, somewhat disconcerting. Uh, so there's, there's many people who have made a, made a living kind of advising the church uh, on these matters, and now it looks like all bets are off, but no one knows how, how the people are going to respond because no one's quite seen a pope like uh, Francis before. Uh, just to give one example, uh, a good friend of, uh, of Danny, Professor Rasa, and I think of Professor Keats as well, uh, was hired uh, in the last year to be essentially the communication strategist for the Holy See. Greg Burke, who was a, a correspondent for Fox News for many years in Rome. In fact, he's an Italian citizen. So a great expert, really. You couldn't get a better person. But of course, he was hired to be the communication strategist for Benedict. And then all of a sudden, Benedict resigns, and he's the communication strategist now for someone completely different, and the, the media environment around the papacy is completely different, and it's not at all clear what exactly the new pope needs in terms of if he needs anything. So far, he seems untouchable. Uh, perhaps some of you are familiar with uh, the sort of Vaticanista, the American Vaticanista, specialist in Vatican affairs, John Allen. People might you know, see him on CNN or something. And uh, John said that uh, he came to Rome before the trip to Brazil. The correspondents come to get on the plane to go with the Pope. They have to go to Rome first to get on the plane. And so he was there for a while. And he was joking that uh, with Benedict among the journalists, there was the, 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 the key to interpretation of what the Pope was going to say, the hermeneutic for Benedict was the hermeneutic of suspicion. Right? And he said that with Francis, it seems like there's a hermeneutic of applause. Whatever, whatever he says, the first response is, that's great. Um, now, I'll get later to the, the key, key question in some ways is how long can this last, right? But we do find ourselves in a very new situation. I wanted to talk kind of what exactly uh, is different about Francis in comparison with uh, previous popes and explain, I try to explain somewhat, uh, why the huge crowds, why the three million uh, kids on the beach in Copacabana, but not just in, in, uh, in Brazil, where you can kind of justify it by saying he's the first Latin American pope, uh, everyone wants to go to the beach in Brazil anyway, uh, things like that. It's true wherever he goes. It's true in Rome where people are very accustomed to popes. <laughs> you know, pope, the pope is the normal thing in Rome, but the crowds in Rome have been extraordinary. It's making it difficult to live around the Vatican now. And clearly, Francis has uh, a way with words, a, a sort of a pithiness, uh, uh, that captures the attention. You know, think of his uh, remarks about how the, the shepherd should smell like the sheep. Right? When people were asking why he was, you know, 
out there with the people and all. He said, the shepherd should smell like the sheep. Or, or what he said uh, on a more elevated <laughs> level to the cardinals, it was, I believe, the day after he was elected, he addressed the cardinals, it was a homily, in the Sistine Chapel. The mass was held for the, after, after the election in, in uh, Thanksgiving. And he gave, in his homily, uh, he said, if we walk without Christ, if we build without Christ, if, well, sorry, if we walk with, without the cross, rather, if we build without the cross, if we profess Christ without the cross, we can be priests, bishops, and popes, but not disciples of Jesus Christ. And the straight, you know, occasion of real straight talk from the Pope to the cardinals who just elected him. Um, now that accounts, I think, for some, the, the, the directness, uh, the colloquial manner in which uh, he speaks, but I don't think that accounts for, for that much of the popularity uh, of the Pope or the impact that he's having, the rapport that he seems to have with people. Uh, as Benedict, who many people think of as being not a terribly communicative pope, uh, was capable of, of speaking in a very similar way. So if you remember um, the commentary on the Via Crucis that he gave some years ago about where he talked about the filth in the church and how it was necessary to get in and clean out the filth in the church. He was, he was capable of speaking uh, in similar terms. And also he had many, uh, I don't say catchy you know, phrases, but... Uh, if you recall, when he was elected, uh, his first mass, the inaugural mass of Benedict, when he, the huge crowds were present after, when, after he was elected, uh, and he looked out and you know, said, the church is alive and the church is young. Uh, words, that, words that ring out and, and they, were, they were the truth. That was, that's what was felt in, the, in Rome in those days after the incredible outpouring of love uh, around John Paul II and the funeral and the conclave. The church is alive and the church is young. So it's not questions simply of rhetoric, a manner of speaking, I think. The, everyone's aware that there's something, uh, there's something different uh, from Benedict to, to Francis. I think in the case of Benedict, we could say most fairly is that he was content to let words speak for themselves. In other words, he was a teacher and he was most interested in the message. He was very self-effacing, he was a very humble man. And he was humble in the sense that he didn't want the message to be about him in any way. In some ways, he, he shied away from making his personality part of the story. And when he gave it, when he gave a talk, he was very disinclined to make any references uh, to himself. And I think we saw we saw this part of him even in his retirement. The decision to retire was part of that self-effacing. Uh, uh, the virtue, uh, really, of humility in uh, in Benedict. He wanted to retire. He wanted people to focus not on him but on the truth, on, on, on the words and the truth in the words. 
and see through those words Christ. Uh, obviously, he's left a huge body of doctrine that was going to be contemplated for years to come. Benedict, I, mean, I think he was successful in that. Um, he's also, I, I, just before we leave Benedict, I, I think many people have a false idea about Benedict as a communicator. I say he was a teacher, and you might think, well, he was kind of stiff. He was just reading things. But that wasn't the case. And uh, he was a superb teacher. Uh, and he was capable, if you ever had the chance, I'm, I imagine it's on YouTube, uh, to see his catechesis with children, little children. It's amazing. Because you're, you're dealing with one of the major intellects, I would say, of the last century within the, in the life of the church. And he was able to speak to the level of six-year-old children, explaining what the Eucharist was. I mean, he clearly was, in that sense, a superb teacher. He measured, but it was never about him, ever. I mean, it, was, it, was about, it was about the truth, about Christ, and it, at the level that the audience could understand. If it was professors, he spoke to the professors. If it was little kids, he spoke to the little kids. But always with that self-effacing uh, sense of retirement, sh certain shyness. What's different, I think, with Francis is that, not that Francis wants it to be about him, obviously, but the personal dimension in the communication of Francis is constantly present. Um, you can see it in the way he, in the way he speaks, simply the fact that he ad-libs constantly, right? When he's, he's giving a talk, and he'll stop and he'll say something unprepared, right? And he's very accustomed to doing that. Or right? he'll even uh, get in what seems almost like a Protestant revival thing. Some, occasionally he's done that with the crowds uh, where it's sort of call and response, right? You know, I can't hear you kind of thing you know, and get them, to, get them to talk back, you know? Um, and I don't think any pope has ever, at least not in our, you know, it's always a mistake to say that no pope has done something because we've had 20 centuries worth of popes. They probably have done it, right, at one point or the other. But uh, not in recent memory, at least. Uh, you have a, a pope sort of calling out to the crowd and getting them to shout back, you know, an affirmation. Um, what, what happens when you, when you speak that way, when, when, when Francis speaks that way, I think is that his message, and they say not that it becomes a message about himself, but the message becomes, in a way, a personal plea. In other words, I, in other words it's not this is the truth that will help you, that will save you. It's that I really want you, right, to love God more. I, I you know, and his personality and his desire and his will, is in, his emotions, right, are invested in the message. And you get that, you get that sense very clearly when, someone's a, when someone puts down the text and says, are you listening to me? Right? Which he did the other day in, in uh, Castel Gandolfo about, about uh, when he was talking about the rosary. Right? You know, Do you pray the rosary every day? You know, and that was, it was a direct appeal, right, to, to, the, to the crowd. This is what I want you to do. I feel it's necessary that you, that you do this. So he is not content, I would say, to, to let the words uh, speak for themselves. 
everything that, that Francis says in some ways in the context of, uh, of a personal encounter, as I say, I want to insist, without, without in any way uh, stooping to kind of a self-promotion. Uh, but he's content to be himself, to let you know him as you know, Jorge Bergoglio. You know, and we know all sorts of stuff about him, that he likes you know, uh, the Argentinian writer Borges, or the film Babette's Feast, uh, um, that his favorite soccer team is uh, San Lorenzo uh, in Buenos Aires. Uh, there's an amusing story about, for those who are interested in that, uh, he had, he had a meeting um, with the Italian national team, soccer team, where he, he told the story, and then later I saw the video and verified that it's true. About, uh, he was going through the, the piazza, uh, St. Peter's Square, in the Pope Jeep, really. It's not quite the Pope Mobile. Um, and you see the Pope waving you know, to the crowd, and all of a sudden, almost without you know, even changing the you know, expression on his face, he goes, <laughs> and, and he was ex in, the, in this get-together with uh, the, the Italian national team, he was explaining what that was. And is that as he was looking in the crowd, he saw a guy with the banner of San, <laughs> San Lorenzo soccer team, and the night before they had won 3-0. And so he just kind of, without, without breaking you know, the, the motion. <laughs> you know, there's a certain naturalness about it, that a person who is so at ease with himself, right, uh, and willing to share, share what, his, what is going on inside him in, in, in a very, very natural way. You know, I guess you could, he's comfortable in his own skin, right? And that, that's very apparent and is very attractive. Um, you can also say, I think, that Francis, uh, perhaps somewhat more than Benedict, uh, and again, this is a, it's a curious dynamic here because I think, again, what you're dealing with is a kind of, there's two kinds of humility, right? There's the self-effacing humility of, uh, of Benedict, which showed itself, uh, I think, in, an, in a willingness to be guided by what other people as said and expected, right? Not to say, no, I'm going to do it this way. This is, you know, Francis actually does that. He says, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do it my way, right? This is who I am, and I'll go ahead and do it, which is a different kind of humility. It's a naturalness, right, uh, to be yourself. And I think you saw that when he was elected, and this is also a kind of communication uh, by action or example, you know, when he went to pay the bill at the, the place where he had been staying, you know, I've always paid the bill. This is where I stay. You know, I've been going there for 20 years, you know, whatever, visiting Rome. I always stay in the same place. I always pay the bill. I just elected Pope. Fine. I'm paying the bill, though, right? And, and he went back and paid the bill, right? Now, Benedict probably would have been counseled by someone saying, Holy Father, you don't need to pay the bill. We'll take care of that, right? And he would have said, okay, right? That would have been Benedict's reaction. As I say, is, is a kind of humility as well. I don't want to break protocol or whatever. I'll go along with that. It's fine. Uh, by the way, the, the hotel of the Pope is actually attached to my univers our university. 
it's actually physically attached. It's right next door. In fact, the only time I've seen the Pope uh, at really close quarters uh, was there because he's been coming for many years, and I used to see him in the lobby, basically, uh, dressed as a normal priest. I mean, he was never never dressed as a, as a bishop or a cardinal. And same thing with, with living in the Domus Santa Marta, the, the residence where the, the cardinals stayed during the conclave, is where the Pope has decided he's going to live. Right? Essentially, he was there as a cardinal during the conclave, and he hasn't moved. Right? All the other cardinals left, and the other people who work in the Vatican have come back to fill the, the rest of the rooms, but the Pope stayed. And I don't think it's a case of trying to send a message, really, about, uh, you know, the apostolic palace is too grand for me or something. I think he, and he said himself, it's a psychological necessity for me. This is, I need to have people around me, right? This is who I am, and, and I'm going I'm to do it this way, right? He's being himself. And if you think that a, pers a person that old who is used to living in an apartment... Uh, you know, he wouldn't know what to do. In a, you know, so you, you try, you know, you, we all know older people, and you know, if you change, change the circumstances where they're living, it's oh, you know, my gosh, it's, it's, a, it's an earthquake, right? And he said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to learn to live in the apostolic palace when I'm you know, 78, 76, 78 years old. And, and it's, this is enough. You know? And that kind of naturalness, I think, is, is very winning. He's also sending messages um, by his actions, as we're saying, in terms of being a priest. Uh, when he went to the first, he's, be, he's visiting the different parishes in Rome. The first parish he visited, he went uh, before the mass that he was going to celebrate and sat down in the confessional for at least an hour in the parish. Right? Now that sends a very strong message to the people of the parish, but also to the priests of the parish. Right? This is what it means to, to be a priest. And I, I think um, one of the long-term effects of the papacy uh, of Francis is going to be an effect on the clergy. Obviously, it's going to have an effect on the church as a whole. But if you think about it, John Paul II was a towering historic figure, really a revolution right? on the, you know, not just the ecclesial level, but also the socio-political level, being the first non-Italian after centuries and centuries from Eastern Europe, the whole situation with communism, just a towering figure uh, and personality. Benedict was an intellect that was you know, pretty much unmatchable. No priest looking at John Paul II says, oh, I'm going to be just like him. You know, uh, I can do that. No, probably you can't, right? And, and the same thing with Benedict, with Benedict's intellect. <coughs> Right? Some people are going to be as smart as Benedict, but most people are not. Right? Most priests are not. And so it's kind of futile to think of John Paul II or Benedict XVI as the model for one's priesthood. But that's not the case with, with Francis. Right? If you listen to the homilies that he's giving every day in the Mass in uh, Domus Santa Marta, well, those are homilies that just about anyone could give. <coughs> They're very simple, very direct, excellent, you know, very useful, um, understandable, colloquial uh, homilies. 
and as some people have said, you know, uh, I think it was John Allen again, uh, you know, he's the parish priest of the world. That's, he's become the, the world's parish priest. And that's the tenor of, of his papacy, an excellent parish priest that thanks to modern communications and all, we're able to be in contact with every, every day. Um, so I think what we're seeing, perhaps, uh, I don't want to you know, second guess the Holy Spirit, or not second guessing, or interpret the Holy Spirit, but um, perhaps with the papacy of Benedict XVI and now of Francis, it's sort of a, a one-two combination punch uh, from the Holy Spirit for the good of the church of theory and praxis. You know, the, sort of the theory, the doctrinal content uh, of Benedict's papacy is going to last a long time. It's going to take a long time to digest. And it's a great benefit, treasure for the church. And what we're getting now from Francis is a, is a communication by, by example and by personality, by the lived presence uh, of the Pope. Not so much the words, which if you, if you study the words of, Fra of Francis frequently, you're, they're not, you're not discovering anything particularly new, right? And yet he's touching people, right? When he comes out and says, you know, God doesn't get tired of, uh, of being merciful with us. We're the ones who get tired of asking for his mercy, right? And that had a, that had a big impression. It's, it's a very simple idea. It's nothing revolutionary in terms of doctrine. Everyone knows that, right? And yet, it, it, it hit home. The way he said it hit home in Rome, and, and everyone in Rome, the priests in Rome, have, have noted that there's more people going to confession these days. And, and, they, and some of them frequently directly attribute it to, I was listening to the Pope, and he said this, and you know, I thought I should go to confession. Uh, so he's having, he's having uh, an impact. Um, but I think I didn't ask you how long I should talk, but... <laughs> I want to leave time for some questions, right? Um, the, the question that I kind of I introduced without answering at the beginning is how long, was, how long will the honeymoon last, right? And uh, in some ways, uh, it's impossible to say. Uh, I think it's also fair to guess that it won't last forever. And the rain will come at some point in, the, in, in this papacy. And I think there, I'm, I am confident, I think it's important when we see the smiling face, uh, sort of jovial old fellow face of, of Francis, to remember that he's a man who has uh, suffered a lot in his life. He's been through a heck of a lot. He's had a very difficult life in the church. He's used to going against the grain for years, right? So we're, he, he, he seems sort of, you know, old shoe friendly, but uh, he's a very tough, tough character. And anyone who works in the Vatican will tell you he's an extremely hard worker. Uh, the, the turnaround rate on documents, you, you send something in the morning to, to the Pope and it comes back before noon. You know, he, he, he works very, very intensely. So I think that... Uh, Perhaps you know, there's an image that comes to mind that is, might serve us you know, to, to understand Francis, uh, the toughness that it's part of his, of his cheerfulness, I think, which is that uh, Wednesday audience early on in the papacy when it was pouring rain. Didn't people see that, the pictures from that? Huge crowd in St. Peter's Square, sea 
of black umbrellas with the you know yellow red umbrellas and you know mixture like you know mosaic of, of glistening wet umbrellas there, and the Pope comes out in the jeep uncovered, no hat, no umbrella, right? And of course, the, the jeep raises him up a little higher than the rest of the people. So what you saw essentially was this this black sea of umbrellas and one white figure, right, going a little a little bit above them. It's an amazing image, and it was pouring rain. He was drenched, and he was smiling as if nothing was happening. And that say that tells you something about his character, and. What's even more interesting to me is the effect that it had on the people. Because no one likes to be out in the rain, right? And there were a lot of people who didn't have umbrellas. And they're all, but you look at the faces in the crowd, and they're all delighted. They've, they forgot that they were getting wet, watching the Pope, who was oblivious to the, to the rain. I mean, he was carrying them in some way above the circumstances. And I suspect that when the rain comes, the, the, the non-metaphorical, or, or the, really the metaphorical rain, rather, of the media attention, etc., we'll see something similar. That the Pope will, the Pope will be carrying, not just himself, but the but the Church with him, uh, through the rain.